0: What? Welcome to our podcast from the Arc Insider, the Africa-focused podcast offering some informal but well-informed Africa-focused conversation touching on news, current affairs, culture and other ongoing topics of interest. I'm Karen Allen, a former BBC Africa correspondent, and my co-presenter is Tara O'Connor, who leads the pan-African risk consultancy firm Africa Risk Consulting. We both live, breathe and work African affairs, and our podcast seeks to stimulate ideas among those who, like us, share a fascination with this part of the world. Tara, I can't believe it. We're both in London. Unbelievable. Here we are in a
1: studio together, sitting opposite each other. It's a first and it's a beautiful, sunny spring day in London.
0: It is. That doesn't mean we're not going to be talking about Africa, but we have to give them a name check. We're at the Cube Studios in East London and it's quite fancy, isn't it? It's very smart, very modern. It's very very much. <laughs> Normally, just for the purpose <laughs> of our our listeners, you know, we're in various parts of the continent usually, um, or in Europe, depending on your travel schedule. Time. Yes. Um, so it's nice to actually see you face to face. Exactly.
1: And to uh, and have all the mod cons of a podcast studio around us, which
0: uh, just makes a big difference. Exactly. Well, let's get bound to business. Later on, the focus of our podcast will be the unfolding story of Zimbabwe's gold smuggling to Dubai and the scale of the money laundering that's taking place between those two countries. We've got a fantastic guest, investigator Christine Gordon, and here's a flavour of what she has to say
2: buy gold, take it out to Dubai, sell the gold and then in theory they should have returned the money to the central bank and that was how the sanctions busting worked. It was by getting dollars into Zimbabwe. Yeah. What these guys actually did was to piggyback their own illegal operations of various kinds on top. Yes so they used these they used these operations to launder their own gold, their own money. Uh, and piggyback that. So they were using Zimbabwe as a massive washing machine, yes, a laundromat, yes. they called yes. it, to wash not only dirty money, but dirty gold from all over Africa.
1: Looking forward to hearing more about that. But first, let's take a look at some of the stories that have happened since our last podcast.
0: President Biden
1: making it official now. He's running for reelection in 2024. His campaign posting a video on the internet today with the news. SpaceX's Starship, the most powerful rocket ever built, took off from a launch pad on the coast of South Texas this morning. The uncrewed rocket exploded midair shortly after liftoff singer, actor and activist Harry Belafonte has passed away at the age of 96. He wanted to be remembered not just for his work as an artist, but as a champion of social justice. Hello
0: and welcome. We start in Sudan, where more than two dozen countries have been evacuating their citizens from the capital Khartoum as fighting between two rival armed groups continues. Most of those
1: being evacuated are diplomats and their families. Spain, Germany and Italy are, among other countries, still evacuating people. The US and UK have already flown diplomats out, as well as Canada. Well, Karen, as we sit down to record this... International governments are still struggling to evacuate all of their nationals from Sudan's capital, Khartoum, where fighting has broken out between the Sudan, Sudan Armed Forces and the notorious militia group, the Rapid Support Force, the RSF.
0: Yeah, and it's worth remembering that this is really an internal fight within the traditional army between General Burhan, the current leader of Sudan's military council, and his deputy, the leader of the militia group, uh, the council deputy head, Mohamed Hamdan dagalo popularly known as Hermeti. Now, Hermeti's Rapid Support Force was created by the ousted general Omar al-Bashir. Remember, Omar al-Bashir, basically military dictator uh, in power for 30 years. Um, the Rapid Support Forces were previously the Janjaweed that right. operated across Darfur with Incredible impunity. Um, spent a lot of time there and seeing some of the human rights abuses on the most atrocious scale. As a result, Omar al-Bashir ends up uh, being indicted by the International Criminal Court on uh, genocide and war crimes charges. But the res- the unfinished business, if you like, of that of that conflict is coming up. To absolutely, rise here.
1: you're totally correct. This is, I mean, the the Janjaweed or the Rapid Support Force was actually set up by Omar Bashir as part of his divide and rule. Exactly, and now it's coming home to roost, if you like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: and this is the long tail of the Bashir, uh,
0: of the Bashir, end of the Bashir's rule, in in effect. And the two sides in this conflict, the official army and the rapid support forces, I mean, the leadership of both of those were once allies and they've now broken away.
1: Absolutely. And it really, the, centra, the central fight was because of disputes about how they should unify as a force, which would ultimately lead to civilian rule. Exactly. So they were to become a unified force and then step out and become part of a new democratic government, which now looks less and less likely. Yeah. So we're moving more towards civil war rather than Uh, rather than actually it's a real interruption to that democratisation process.
0: And the sort of scenes that we're seeing coming out of the capital cartoon in particular um, are really quite staggering. The siege of the airport, the national TV centre, all of these are classic centres for for conflict and for a military coup. coup. So it's definitely, it's both sides, it's the
1: rapid support force and it's Burhan versus Hermeti. Uh, to try and uh, take control of the country. And what's lost in all of this is obviously the democratic uh, pressure pressure groups that over the past few years have actually brought the country to a standstill demanding uh, civilian and democratic rule.
0: Lots of external players here, Taras. Talk us through that because in a way this is a, a proxy fight with other regional players um, basically wading in.
1: Absolutely. Buhan is believed to be backed by the old Islamist order, General, you know, Bashir's mm-hmm. uh, supporters trying to get control. Don't forget the military and the economy are completely interlinked. It's a very rich, um, you know, lots of government business was done by the military. So it's kind of holding on to that. But also um, that group is supported at from externally from Egypt Whereas Hametti has got strong links to Russia, mm-hmm. and we've been following the development of the va- the mercenary group, the Wagner Group, and certainly there are close links between Hametti and and Russia. He w- he went to visit Russia. I think it was in February last year. I think certainly he's got military uh, material that mm-hmm. the Sudan Sudan uh, Armed Forces don't have. Um, they've, they've got the planes,
0: haven't they? They've, they've got the airplanes. The they but, have planes, and they've got Temeti- sort of, uh, sorry, they've got some anti-aircraft capability, presumably yes. from the Russians, all yes. from the uh, United. Absolutely, um,
1: and they are. You know, they've got you know the you know the RSF as they the Rapid Support Force, is visibly better kept than the Sudan Sudan Armed Forces. They've yeah. got better equipment, and in fact, some of the Sudan Armed Forces have been crossing out to join, you know, so there's going to be a lot of floor crossing, if you yes, like, yeah. uh, to see, you know, to whoever gains the upper hand. But from what we hear, um, the Sudan Armed Forces, with the air, air power, mm-hmm. has uh, got the upper hand. But... Unfortunately, fighting is breaking out in the eastern Darfur as well. Yeah. So, you know, the spread of violence is not a good sign.
0: Yeah, and as you say, the evacuations that we're seeing, you know, it always gets the headlines, doesn't it, when diplomats get evacuated, but the poor Sudanese are stuck in the middle. Yes, um,
1: absolutely. Six million people in Khartoum uh, with increasingly no electricity, no, uh, no water and difficulty getting food and trying to get home to their villages to try and be able to uh, get access to food and and sustenance. Yes.
0: When we talk about false dawns and false democratic dawns, one has to think about what's going on in Tunisia at the moment as well, because it is quite ironic, isn't it? It was one of the places where um, the Jasmine or Arab Spring was seen as offering quite a lot of hope because the president stood down um, and I remember it very vividly at the time and it was basically a, a domino effect for other Arab Spring type events which weren't Absolutely. so successful if you like in no. terms of bringing on democracy but we're seeing really some worrying trends there.
1: Very and and very sadly it seems to be another rollback yeah. of, the, of the Jasmine Spring you know and it. It's, it's culminated now with the arrest of a prominent opposition mm. leader, um, effectively bringing to an end probably a decade of
0: democratic freedom in the country. But Tara, on a positive note, we've had the London Marathon and a great victory for East Africa. Kelvin Kiptun, the Kenyan, won the London Marathon men's race. He secured the second fastest time ever. That's quite extraordinary, and isn't it? And it's
1: only his second marathon. I
0: mean, it's absolutely... He just broke away from the... From
1: the rest of the leader, leader team, and just kept up a pace right to the end. And he was literally just seconds off another world record, yeah, beating the world existing world record, it's perhaps quite an incredible run.
0: Absolutely. Um, the Dutch national Sifan Hassan, she's an Ethiopian-born athlete, she won the women's race. Now get this, Tara. It's the first time, she is an Olympic champion but not in this event, it's the first time she's ever competed in a marathon before and she absolutely nailed it. And she had to do all of her training through Ramadan. She had to uh, keep
1: up with the Ramadan uh, tradition of only eating in at night and training at the same time, quite a considerable feat.
0: Yeah, and with and she, a hip
1: injury as well, I think. A hip injury. She stopped in the middle of the race to to stretch, and then caught up with everybody again, and then overtook everybody yep. at the at the end. It was two phenomenal races, and obviously the leaderboard dominated by East Africa.
0: Yeah. You're listening to The Ark Insider with Karen Allen and Tara O'Connor.
1: Our guest on this week's podcast is an investigator and writer, Christine Gordon, who's also a consultant to Africa Risk Consulting and who most recently has taken, undertaken a major investigation into the illicit gold trade in Zimbabwe. It's links to the country's central bank and in the involvement in, of Dubai as a major money laundering capital for gold and basically dirty money coming out of Africa. But prior to that Christine has consulted for the UN investigating the breach of diamond sanctions in Angola as well as carrying out other critical due diligence work so Christine welcome to the Ark insider
2: Thank you Tara pleasure to be here
1: and we're here with Karen Allen who's over from uh,
0: South Africa and so three of us in a studio probably for the first time absolutely and it's nice judges. to be it's nice to meet you and it's nice to all be in the same room. Christine, the focus for today's podcast is the investigation you conducted into the illicit trade in gold in Zimbabwe. Now, it's a story involving a complex web of characters, many of them familiar faces in the shady world of money laundering across Africa. And they move millions of dollars of gold out of the country illegally and obtain laundered dollars in return that then get pumped back into the country and into the pockets of the corrupt elites. Of course, Zimbabwe needs dollars to function because its own currency is practically worthless. And we'll go into the mechanics of what's happening in just a moment with you, Christine, because I know it's complicated. But importantly, this story might be vaguely familiar to some of our listeners because your work was subsequently picked up by international journalists, including colleagues at Al Jazeera, who produced a a gripping documentary series about members of the gold mafia as they've described it. But your work really did lay the foundation for that. And it exposes an extraordinary culture of impunity in Zimbabwe, perpetrated by both Zimbabwean and foreign nationals. So, Christine, let's go back to basics. How does a country like Zimbabwe, which is subject to Western sanctions, obtain hard U.S. currency? And where does the gold trading fit in?
2: So gold is Zimbabwe's chief source of foreign, only source of foreign yeah. currency apart from tobacco. Mm. It is the principal source, and it's worth maybe two billion dollars a year at the moment on the legal, legally yes. legal exports. But a few years ago, Zimbabwe was in a much worse situation. Its gold was disappearing much more extensively than it does today, and they set up what effectively a laundering system whereby. Uh, originally Kamlesh Patney um, and Ewan Macmillan were tasked with take with mopping up illegal gold, yeah. taking it to Dubai, selling it and bringing back hard cash to Zimbabwe. That was the theory. I believe that Patney is the person who proposed this because he proposed something very, very similar in Kenya.
0: He's a which, well-known Which <laughs> turned out to yeah. be
2: a complete fraud, mm-hmm. which in, in fact, he proposed this So that Kenya could earn foreign exchange at a very difficult moment in its political life. Mm -hmm. But they didn't get the foreign exchange. They didn't get the gold. He was buying gold that was brought in from all over Africa, Mm -hmm. selling it for foreign exchange. But the foreign exchange disappeared into his own companies, as it has been doing in Zimbabwe. Yes. So... This is the mixture as before, so not good for Zimbabwe in the first place. And as a sanctions-busting concept, I think they should have checked out Patney's history first. Yes. Yeah. Ewan Macmillan, the other launderer, is well known to, Zimb- to Zimbabweans. He's lived there all his life. He's been to jail a couple of times for diamond for gold smuggling. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not diamonds. Yes. And then he also undertook this same kind of smuggling. Uh, taking the gold, mopping up gold, taking it out to Dubai, selling it for foreign exchange, taking it back to the Central Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe. And in theory, that should have provided extra foreign exchange. Then we have two further players Simon Rudland, who denies all involvement in any such operation, and an extraordinary diplomat called Hubert Angel. Mm-hmm. A pastor in his own charismatic church, who heals the sick.
0: A Zimbabwean a diplomat. Zimbabwean. Just to be clear, he, he is, is a Zimbabwean, he diplomat. Is a
2: Zimbabwean internet, uh, diplomat with a with a roving role representing Zimbabwe to the USA and Europe, and he also has multiple businesses here in the UK.
1: What's interesting about this entire scheme? is that at its heart is the Reserve Bank mm-hmm. of Zimbabwe, yes. the central bank. Yes. And now how how does the Zimbabwean Reserve Bank actually feature in this, in this money laundering it, well, scheme?
2: In two ways. It owns the Philadelphia Gold Refinery, uh, which is the legal buyer for all of the gold produced in Zimbabwe.
1: So the central bank licences all gold buying and in Zimbabwe. Yes, via, via, its, via its subsidiary. subsidiary mm-hmm. exactly. the Fidelity, it, yes.
2: uh,
1: Fidelity Gold, gold.
2: And it also provides the money in dollars for the gold to be bought and then shunted back out. Now, where it gets sold after that, in fact, uh, the Zimbabwe can refine its own gold, but not to necessarily to international standards mm-hmm. of purity. So... Uh, Where the gold goes after that is not entirely, South Africa is one point, not entirely known. Uh, But the second operation, the illegal operation, they were given, all these guys were given buying licenses for gold by Fidelity and they're allowed to bring in dollars buy dollars, buy gold, take it out to Dubai, sell the gold. And in theory, they should have returned the money to the central bank. And that was how the sanctions busting worked. It was by getting dollars into Zimbabwe. Yeah. Yeah. What these guys actually did was to piggyback their own illegal operations of various kinds on top. Yes. So they used these, they used these operations to launder their own gold, their own money. Uh, and piggyback that. So they were using Zimbabwe as a massive washing machine, yes, a laundromat, yes, they called yes. it, to wash not only dirty money, but dirty gold from all over Africa, and then take it back out to Dubai and bank it. That means that means they unwitting, probably unwittingly involved the Reserve Bank. Mm. The Reserve Bank was unwitting, not the guys who were doing it, yeah. obviously. Um, and the Reserve Bank has actually been used as a massive washing machine for dirty money.
0: Just to be clear... A reserve bank is there for the purpose of the money supply, of fiscal yes. policy, yes. And, and being in charge of foreign currency. Exactly. What it was doing was illegal. In any other country, in, in, in most countries in the world, what a reserve bank was doing, getting involved in this kind
2: of enterprise, yes. is, is that illegal? Well, um, mm. It's a, mm. it's a tricky question. It's a, it's a tricky no, it question. It seems extraordinary. They, these guys had licenses to buy the gold, sell it, and bring it back to Zimbabwe.
1: What is unusual is that a central bank has a subsidiary company involved in, in gold, um, yes, exactly, Barney, yes. and probably that's the only reason for that is for the illicit, you know, the illicit shifting, well, it's moving of money. gold has
2: to be bought in dollars, otherwise it gets smuggled. It's a simple. Oh, is that right? Yes. Okay. Because nobody wants Zimbabwean exactly. currency. They do there? They want hard cash. Exactly. Yes.
1: So, Christine, when you say that. This gold is coming into Zimbabwe from all over the place. Where is it coming from?
2: It's coming from the DRC, mines in the east of the DRC. It's coming from possibly South Sudan, Mm -hmm. which is really bad news. Uh, It's coming from really anywhere that has gold. I mean, these people were talking about having offices in Ghana, in Angola, which has some artisanal gold. Uh, across Africa, effectively anywhere that has gold, they will mop. They will mop up the gold, and then they need to legalise it. So it's legitimise it. Basically, being smuggled across borders
1: into yes, Zimbabwe, it is. acquired by the licence holders, yes. and then trafficked effectively yes. across uh, illegally. Some of it legal, some of it illegal to yes. Dubai. And how does that happen?
2: Yes. Well, they have. These people have been using their licences. They they sell the gold. They take the gold to the Fidelity they sell the gold to the fidelity which effectively launders the gold's origin it's zimbabwean gold now okay yeah. um and then they can they can export the gold to dubai and sell it as zimbabwean gold so it's got
0: the right paperwork it's basically. got paperwork mm-hmm. yes it's
2: got a bit of legitimacy
0: yes
1: but not all of it goes out legitimately so a portion well, of that yes. is um I, Some, my understanding no. is that a portion of it is Undocumented yes. gold.
2: Well it's quite easy to get documentation for small amounts of hand carried gold in Dubai. You just declare it when you arrive. But it they don't like it if you do it too often, but you can certainly do declare ten kilos a time.
0: And just in the you know, we're talking about Which the me- a lot of gold. We're, we're talking about the mechanics of this. Yes. This gets hand carried out of Zimbabwe. Or by anywhere mules.
2: else, yes, in your hand luggage. Like like Henrietta Rushawire, who was arrested for having six kilos of gold in her hand luggage on the way to Dubai, wow.
1: and who is Henrietta?
2: Oh, she is the head of the federate of the is it the Federation, the of, Federation Zimbabwe, of Zimbabwe Zimbabwean miners. Minus. She represents all the small miners in Zimbabwe. Yeah.
0: So instead of having her duty free, she's got gold in her handbag. Yeah. And she's related to Emerson Management. She's the I niece believe. of him. Mm-hmm. She's, the, she's right. his
2: niece, yes. Yeah. She has a history.
0: Just racking back to why we care about this. If you're an ordinary Zimbabwean and you're lucky enough to have a job, and maybe you even get some dollars as part of that job, although it's unlikely, you're probably going to earn about 140 US dollars a month if you're lucky. Legitimate gold exports could dramatically change the Zimbabwean economy, but ultimately none of this money, none of the resources, is benefiting your ordinary person on the
2: street. It's very likely that very little of it is benefiting the ordinary person on the street because so much of it is being sucked up by the by, by the players who want to circ, who have been set up to circumnavigate sanctions, who actually take all the benefit of the gold. Zimbabwe doesn't get very much of the money. Um, what they do get, we don't have an accounting for, let's say. Um, we don't know where it goes. Yeah. It, appears, it appears that it may be headed towards very high-profile dignitaries.
0: And I suppose the obvious question, if I was explaining this to my mum... The obvious question is, how are people able to get away with it? Because there are some names of individuals involved in this gold smuggling ring, which are really familiar. You've mentioned Kamlish Putney, the Kenyan national. He was involved in the Goldenberg scandal, a similar enterprise exactly. as you say in Kenya. How how come this is able to happen? What does it? But what does it?
2: No, there's been no police complaint against them. They are happily ensconced in Dubai, most of them, or South Africa, or Zimbabwe, or a combination of all three of those places. Um if there's no investigation, there's no arrest warrant, have they committed the crime? They haven't been charged with anything yet.
0: The assumption is the they can just yeah, the assumption is they, they, they can
2: pay the pay the pay their way. And the and the interpretation is they can very easily pay their way out mm-hmm. of trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh that uh, they ha- they can bribe people inside banks to launder money to launder documentation they know how to manage the systems to get away with it effectively how to manipulate paperwork
1: exactly and by- i would i would add to that uh, christine wouldn't that zimbabwe doesn't uh, for, has gone on for such a long time zimbabwe's problems and its economic yes. um, bankruptcy effectively has gone on for such a long time that there is very little in international interest in Zimbabwe, except around election time. That's so true. And so yes. it's you know so this kind of activity goes unnoticed because it's a country that has got little notice.
2: Mm-hmm. That's true. But but it's just arrived on the, this problem has just arrived on the world stage because it now exposes the it, the involvement of Dubai as a destination. Now Dubai has been considered as a long time to be a money laundering centre, a diamond laundering centre, a gold laundering centre, um, a place with laws but no enforcement. Uh, and FATAF had them on a grey list for a very long time. It's the Financial Action it's Task Force. force it yeah. is, yes. Um, uh, 2020, they reduced their interpretation of Dubai. They said they were becoming compliant in certain areas. I think with what this programme has opened up is how... Non compliant, how not non compliant exactly, but how lacking in interest Mm -hmm. uh, they are in the sources of gold, for example. Yeah. There's no, there's no, unlike for diamonds, where there is a certificate of origin, even if it is flawed, there is no, there are no certificate of origins for gold. Yeah. There is the OECD guidelines for importing gold from conflict zones. Yes. It doesn't apply to Zimbabwe. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it's time to open up. That those systems, so that you have to have a certificate of origin for gold, of sometimes like as the diamonds, well. Yes, the, the Kimberley Process. No, it's flawed. It, it's but it but it catches it catches a good proportion of yeah. what's going on.
1: What problem it makes for businesses doing business with um, not just Dubai, but businesses doing business with Zimbabwe oh, yes. as a as an exporter, say from the US or from the UK or from South Africa into Zimbabwe, you can legitimately expect to be paid in US dollars.
2: Yes, but how you do you can. determine that those dollars are and not and now washed? suddenly you may be being paid by the proceeds of crime? Absolutely. And... That leaves you in a very, very difficult position if you're a major company.
0: What does that mean? Does it implicate you directly?
2: Yes, yes. you' your, you're part. You become unwittingly part of the money laundering chain. Yeah. You're the final destination for the laundered money. Does
0: because... that mean then, so the the anti that the, the anti corruption rules, the very rigorous anti corruption rules we have here, we have in the UK, we have in the United States, uh, in other um, in other territories, that they actually could be applied to someone doing trading in Zimbabwe who finds themselves foul of this? these kinds of uh, Yes, uh, I would imagine they could be yeah. uh,
2: on, on the strict interpretation of the law, yes. Yeah.
0: And
1: further, you know, the Dubai, the sourcing of Dubai gold, you know, the users of gold, the end users of gold for jewellery and all of that are
0: worldwide. Yeah. Just as we sort of draw these stands. stands to, all, yeah, we draw mm. these stands together. I talk to people... Based across Africa and said we were doing a podcast about gold and gold smuggling in mum the star all about corruption again and the eyes rolled because there is this sense that nothing can be done about it you've nodded towards the possibility of having some kind of regime similar to the diamond regime mm. um, to be able to clean up this whole process I mean wh- what what would be your aspiration to try and deal with this problem what would you like the international community to do for people listening to this podcast who basically hold their head in their hands and say, well, tell us something different because there is this feeling that 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 actually it goes on, there's nothing that can be done
2: about it. Well, I, I think some kind of extension of the OECD guidelines would be a starting point. What are those? They are the guidelines that say that you must be able to trace gold from conflict areas from the ma- mine of origin. Yes. Like all these systems, you know, it can be all systems can be cheated and it does get cheated, but it's a starting point. And the, ba- the gold has to be bagged. And tagged with the point of origin. And there are now technological methods for actually monitoring yes. the movement of, of gold um, and GPS navigation, all these things you can you act, can, you can actually seriously tag gold exactly. from where it started, or, or at least from where it was bagged. Um, and, and move it that way. So you you get more control. I don't think I don't know that a hundred percent. I think sort of human greed and ingenuity is rather likely to get around any controls that you yeah. can put in place. But a, a higher percentage of controls, and Dubai would have to be in the forefront of initiating this to, to save their own reputation, because Dubai's reputation has now been laid on the line yet again. Last time it was diamonds; this time it's gold. Yeah,
0: seems a perfect, perfect moment place to pause. To end. Thank you so much, Christine Gordon. Fascinating.
2: Thank you very much for interviewing me, Karen.
0: Thank you very much.
2: Thanks, Tara. Always a, a pleasure. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to ARK Insight with Karen Allen and Tara O'Connor. If you're interested, ARK publishes country risk briefings on 22 countries around the continent. You can subscribe to these at info at africariskconsulting.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know. You can use the same address and do feel free to share our podcast on social media and amongst friends. This podcast is a Karen Allen International production. Bye for now.